Our reading this evening is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week we heard Paul begin to describe one of the main problems among the Corinthians, one of the main temptations they had come to, and that was that each said, I follow this apostle, and I follow that apostle. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, and some, fancying themselves better than the others, said, I follow Christ. They were divided. They were not sharing the same mind. They didn't have the same thoughts. They didn't speak the same things. Instead, they were competing with each other. Kind of like when the disciples were arguing with one another along the way, who was the greatest? When you assert yourself as the greatest, when you make these kinds of claims, well, I'm better than you because I follow Paul, or I follow Cephas. When you make those kinds of claims, you actually make it clear that you're not following anyone. That's the irony of saying, well, I follow Paul. When you say that as though that makes you better than others, you're actually putting yourself in front. You're not following anyone. You are bolstering your own pride. You're holding yourself up rather than submitting yourself to someone else's authority. And that's really the problem that's going on with the Corinthians here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. They've got the order all wrong. And so Paul refers to Isaiah chapter 29. And in Isaiah chapter 29, God makes a remarkable claim about the people of Israel. He explains their problem in this way. He says, you turn things upside down. Should the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me, or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. So here they were, the Corinthians, making claims about themselves. I'm better than the rest because I follow so-and-so. I'm better than all of you because my thoughts are better than yours. 
I'm better than you because I am more spiritual than you. And in doing so, they turn the world upside down. Instead of understanding that they are clay in the hands of a potter, they have begun to question the potter. Instead of understanding that they are creatures of the living God, they have begun to think that they are lords of their own salvation. Instead of understanding that they are Christians who have come to life by hearing the good news of Christ's death on the cross, they have begun to think that they have made their own lives by their wisdom and their discernment and their spirituality. They've gotten things backwards, upside down. That is how our world works. This is the problem with the Corinthians. They've begun to return to their former way of being, the way that the world is. The world thinks that there is no potter, that we, these lumps of clay, that we are masters of our fate. The world has been trying to find its way to make its own way from the beginning. This goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Instead of hearing God's word and obeying, they listened to the serpent and said, God is holding out on us. There's something better for us. We should be as wise as God. We should be able to see the way he sees. And then perhaps more clearly at the Tower of Babel, the people thought, we can get up to heaven. We'll elevate ourselves up to heaven. We'll make a name for ourselves. And that is the point at which no one can stop us, when we have become God. The world thinks that through its wisdom, through its cleverness, through its designs, through its distinctions, through its discernment, that it can be God. But of course, you know how all of those stories go. Adam and Eve, the Tower of Babel, any wise man in the history of this world, they all end the same way. They all end in the grave, or worse. The world cannot find its way to God through wisdom, much less can it take God's place through wisdom. The world tries to find the truth, tries to find divine majesty, tries to recognize the order of this world, but it's got it all wrong. It does not recognize that God is not the one who is lost. He's not the one who must be found, but we. We, fallen sinful human creatures, are the ones who are lost. And so it must be, not that we go out looking for God and try to find him, not that we make ourselves the potter and him the clay, but quite the contrary. He's the one who must find us. He's the one who must make something of us. He's the one who has made something of these dear Corinthians. Even though they've got it all wrong, even though they have turned things on their head, nonetheless, it is God who redeemed them. It is God who called them and made, him, made them his own. God arrives in their lives in the last place anyone would look. He comes to them in this foolish message of the cross. Not in wisdom, not in strength, not in power, not in riches or any of the things that the world acclaims. Not where the world would look. God comes to them in Jesus. Human flesh laid low, lifted up on a cross, and dead. God comes to them in Christ crucified. And even more, he comes to the Corinthians in the preaching of Christ crucified. Jesus wasn't crucified again and again and again for each generation, but to each successive generation, it's the message, it's the proclamation, it's the words about Jesus that bring God to them, that draw them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There's no earthly kingdom there's no reign, there's no king sitting on a throne that you can see, there's no laws, there's no government, there's no soldiers, there's none of that. There's just this message that Christ has died for you. 
God is the potter and we are the clay and he needs to make something of us. If anything is to become of us, the way he does it is through this message, through what the world thinks of as folly. He does that because the wisdom and strength and might of this world have to be brought low. They have to be shown for what they are. They have to be put to shame. God needs to show that they are nothing at all, otherwise we would go on trusting in them. If God came to us through wisdom or might or strength, we would believe in wisdom and might and strength and not in God. And so he comes to us quite apart from those things, lest we boast in them, lest we think to ourselves, I have found God, I have made my way to him, I understand him. I, in my strength and my might, can see into heaven. He does not want that, because that is not where he is found. Instead, he's found next to us in sinful human flesh. He's found in the lowly elements of bread and wine. He's found in the water. He's found in simple words, so that we may not boast in anything except for his cross, lest we boast as though we were the potter and he the clay. Instead, he does give us a boast, He tells us to boast, to be proud of this, that we do know him, that we have been known by him, that he has revealed himself to us. Not that we found him, not that we have the right course, not that we have made something of ourselves, but that he has come to us. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do not boast in your strength, Jeremiah says. Don't boast in your riches, don't boast in your wisdom, but instead boast in this, boast that you know me. And more specifically, Jeremiah says, boast that you know this about me, that the Lord, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Let that be your boast. Not that you follow Paul or Apollos or Cephas, not that you are rich or strong or mighty, not that you are wise, not anything about yourself, but that you have come to know who God is, just and merciful and loving. Boast in that. It's like being uh, a schoolboy on the playground, confronted with a bully, or just trying to impress your friends. Every schoolboy on the playground is tempted to boast in himself, to make himself bigger and stronger, appear bigger and stronger than he actually is. But then occasionally there's a young man who knows that he's not really that strong, that he can't take the bullies on his own, that he's not the mightiest one or the fastest one. But he will do some kind of boasting. That is true. A boast in his dad. So when somebody comes to pick on him, he'll say, my dad, my dad could beat you up. Watch out. My dad is stronger than you. My dad is better than you. I'm not. Yes, that's true. What am I? I'm just a kid. But my dad loves me. And he's not going to let this stand. That's the kind of boasting that God offers to us. That instead of boasting in ourselves, when we have nothing at all to claim for ourselves, we would boast in him, in his might, in his majesty, in his strength, in his goodness, that he is the Lord who loves us, the Lord who has taken on human flesh to save us from our sin, to save us from our pride, to give us something better than we could ever attain for ourselves, to forgive our sins, and to give us eternal life. The Corinthians have a lot to learn. We all have a lot to learn as we come out of this world and into his kingdom, as we learn to live in the light as opposed to the darkness, as we learn to get used to the forgiveness of sins and the holiness that God gives to us. It's a long road. Thanks be to God that he continually teaches us, that he shows us again and again our own weakness, 
our own frailty, our own foolishness, so that we can trust in him, so we can cling to his wisdom, so we can cling to his might and his strength and his love. Boast in this. Boast in the Lord. Boast that he is your savior. Let that be your claim. Let that be what holds sway in the end. Let that be the thing that you take with you before his heavenly throne. He is your Lord and your God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.